All right, we are live. It's a Wednesday. It's 7 it p.m. Mountain Time, which we were just discussing. Does Do the states south of us call it Mountain Time? I don't understand time zones in general. It's, so they might. I can look it up for us. I've if, spent if most like. of my life in Pacific Time, and Pacific Time is the same all down the coast. Yeah. So I've been so spoiled that I've never had to really like think about it or try to communicate in a way that is universally understood so i just keep saying we're live 7 p.m mountain time and i hope people can can figure it out it's and the least populated time zone in the u.s nice that's that's good so, so. we're streaming at the worst time probably um but anyways welcome to the live show for sinners and sufferers where we have conversations about exploring theology, engaging culture, and often just watching movies and stuff like that. And it's all for weary souls in need of grace. Tonight, we're going to talk about... Oh, I didn't update my little thing. Rings of Power. Yeah, but we're going to talk about Rings of Power. We're in Lord of the Rings and how it's the best work of fiction of all time, Lord of the Rings is. And we're going to talk about the theology of marriage don't worry, we're not going to try to like patronize you with marriage advice. <laughs> we're just talking about the theology of marriage, not how you do marriage. You got you need to figure that out yourself or ask and an actual... You shouldn't be coming to us solely for that. I'm not even married, so I yeah. can just tell you what the Bible has to say about it. Anyways, uh, my name is Cody. And my name is Kyle. And we're going to roll that intro. I think I should, uh, the past few weeks we've been drinking these. Oh, there's the, the logo, Liquid Death. Yes. Um, when, I, when I was watching our video back the one week, I was like, I wonder if some people think we're just chilling here drinking beer or something, which could be offensive to some people. We don't mind, but could be offensive to some people. Um, but th- that's not even the reason why I wanted to talk about it. What I find interesting about it is this is uh, sparkling water that you... Uh, have shown me yes and it's from the austrian alps is that what's special about it i guess it's just like the marketing well when i first saw it it's like yeah it's called oh i don't know i got my left and right backwards it's called liquid death and it has this like skull on it Mm -hmm. and it's the slogan is murder your thirst and they're all like yeah destroy thirst it's so metal and a lot of their marketing is really like masculine metal and i was like I'm not going to fall for that. Like, I'm clearly their target demographic, but I was like, there's no way I'm falling for this gimmicky water that's supposedly metal. How can that change it? It's just going to be water. And then I saw it on sale at a 7-Eleven one time. So you tried it. So I tried it, and I was like, this tastes really good. It's just water. Yeah. But it's uh, they, they claim that it has lower carbonation, or yeah, it's carbonated at a level that you don't taste like the bitterness of the carbon. Because you think of like a tonic water, how tonic water kind of yes. tastes bad. It's because of how much carbon is in it because it's so carbonated. Oh. So they've tried to find like the medium where it's as bubbly as possible without like tasting nasty, supposedly. Zero PPM, which as parts per million, I don't know. I think less is better. No, it is better. I yeah, know that it's, for sure. It's like but the floaties in it, right? One of the things I've wanted to try with the water is um, I maybe I should do this actually with carbonating water because I have a soda stream, so I could do it. 
Um, but I've thought about it with coffee because a lot of coffee nerds, like really huge nerds, will actually get like um, distilled water yeah. in jugs and then put a specific amount of chemicals in it, oh, which is okay. just like a lot of work for me. I was like, I literally have distilled water right there for my coffee. Yeah, no, like, these like, huge nerds. <laughs> <laughs> but they put like like these chemical packets in it because yeah. it's the best for making coffee. Okay. And I, I thought it would be funny to do something where it's like, I'm going to test out today what the best water for your coffee is. Here I have Fiji water, Aquafina, uh, Mountain Spring, yeah. and then try those because that's obviously not what they're going for. But like... That's I think funny. I thought it would be a little like weird, funny that only some people would get, but I should do that with carbonation Yeah, and see like, is Fiji water better carbonated than like Aquafina carbonated? Yeah. Do it. I would think so. Water reviews. That's your new thing. <laughs> yeah. I'll put up some water reviews soon. Yeah. I just, I use the distilled water. Well, so for things where you're boiling water a lot, um, it just reduces buildup over time. Yeah. yeah. Which is nice. And so my parents do that with a lot of things. So they got me into it. But I also just, I find the tap water since moving here from BC, I just can't stand it. It tastes so awful to me. And well, yeah, because we're we lived like the tap water there is some of the best, yeah, like in North America. Like you could just bottle it and sell it to yeah, people, it's, it's really good. Um, but the yeah, the lime scale thing is like 100%. Um, I should probably start buying like distilled or RO water or something mm. just to like protect my kettle and things like that, but yeah. Well, anyways, that's that's my uh, my intro to the the episode tonight. <laughs> so we're going to talk about uh, the Rings of Power, which, if you don't know, is a new Amazon Prime series based on the Lord of the Rings. Um, it, which I love Lord of the Rings. I I don't know if I've ever talked about it on the podcast. I don't know if I've even talked about it to you that much before, but like. No, we generally had an understanding that we both enjoyed Lord of yeah, the Rings. Yeah, it's but. sort of like my my main thing that I'm weirdly like nerdy about is Lord of the Rings. I've read all of the extra books, and actually, I've, I learned today that there's one because uh, Christopher Tolkien, his son, published some. Mm-hmm. And there's one he published that I haven't read, so I need to get that. But I'm just a huge Lord of the Rings fan. It's such a like extremely in-depth uh, world. And you sent me a podcast, a lore cast, apparently, yeah. which I've been listening to, which is not in any way like it's nice. I feel like I can promote it because it's not in any way competing with us. <laughs> it's nope. totally different. Not at all. But it, it's cool. He's just going through Silmarillion stuff. And I read that book when I was like 14. So it's nice to be reminded um, but it's cool to see the the parallels of the Christian worldview. Like you can see a lot of it really is about war and it's about Tolkien's time in the war and the things he experienced and the sort of conflict between light and dark and, and light's triumph over evil. Um, but there's even as you get into the more background, the stuff that isn't in the Lord of the Rings, but is in the Silmarillion, there's this like, there is a one God, it's called Iluvatar, Mm-hmm. And he creates all things, including um, oh, everyone has like four names: Morgoth, Malik, one of those guys, the big bad, like yeah. not Sauron, but Morgoth. Sauron's boss. Basically, he created him, knowing that he would create this like discord, and that he'd go against like his plan for creation and create like the darkness to can- cancel or to counter his light. And but he does it knowing it's going to happen and with intentions of light prevailing and how that's going to come about. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, that's some like reformed theology. In the- yeah. 
And it's actually because I've so I will fully admit I have not read the Lord of the Rings in full. <gasps> I love the movies. Um, I'm just a really slow reader. So even until recently, I haven't even like read much. But mm-hmm. we're reading like the the prequel to the Hunger Games, Brittany and I right now. And then um, uh, I'm listening. I've been listening to the Wheel of Time like yeah. on audiobook. So I've been getting through those pretty quick. So I, I've just, I'm just slow, so slow at reading that I've never actually, so I've read um, quite a bit of Fellowship mm-hmm. of the Ring. And then I, for whatever reason, um, I read basically half of the Silmarillion, okay. which a lot of people, it confuses a lot of people because it's very dry for most people. And, uh, and I've read the, I've read the Hobbit all the way through, yeah. but um, the thing with the Silmarillion when I was reading it is that the first few chapters are all about like the creation of the world. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of similarities to it. Like you can tell of, you know, his religion in that. Yeah. It's just, I thought it was cool. That is like an actual decent theology of God's sovereignty in <laughs> like kind of like parodied or reflected in his concept of the, the of Iluvatar and mm-hmm. how he really is in control of all things. And, um, I thought it was cool, but anyways, Rings of Power is, is people have been calling it an adaptation, but I saw one review that said it's more of a distillation, and I do think that's more accurate because it's not actually a story in the Silmarillion. Mm-hmm. It's taking like bits because the Silmarillion it's it's not a, a book. It's well, it's like a collection of small snippets of things that yeah. Tolkien wrote and hadn't finished. So it's taking these small snippets and sort of like reading between the lines to create a story. Um, so it's not really an adaptation. It's just more like inspired by, it's like a stylistic interpretation type of thing, but it's, uh, it's getting destroyed online, uh, by people complaining by fans, but not critics, which is an interesting. Yeah. The critics love it. Well, and I mean, we'll get into it, but the Rotten Tomatoes, you'll see like often the fan rating is not a good reflection of what people actually think or Mm -hmm. the quality of it. Um, But yeah, well, there's been complaints. A lot of people are saying that it's boring, which I don't understand what's funny because even like it has a lower score than She-Hulk. And I think She-Hulk is incredibly boring. Like nothing happens Mm -hmm. in it. So people are saying this is boring. And I think that's more as a reflection on, on where people are at that like, we, you know, Game of Thrones is one of the biggest shows of all time. And you watch it, it can't go like 10 minutes without like gratuitous sex or gory violence or something. Yeah. And and there's none of that in Lord of the Rings or Rings of Power. So like, if that's what you need to be stimulated, then I guess, yeah, it's kind of boring, but I think it's interesting. There's like crazy mystery and it's even they've, they've done. And I think they did this on purpose that they've changed some things which is upsetting people that they're like, oh, this character, blah, blah, blah. But as someone who's read all of the stuff, it's nice because I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like we obviously know it's a prequel, so we know how it's going to end in, in like some thousands sense. of years later. Yeah. Yeah. Like we know which people aren't going to die. But but yeah, like there's little like there's mysterious characters and there's things clues of things. I'm trying not to spoil it too much because mm. I, I feel like a lot of people haven't watched it because of the negative reviews and stuff. Um, but it's, it's really interesting. Um, like I, I find it compelling, but yeah, a lot of people are saying like, it's a disgrace to Tolkien. Elon Musk tweeted Tolkien's rolling in his grave. And I don't oh, know, yeah, I I don't know why, but just Elon saying that 
I was like, well, that makes me so angry. I'm like, what an idiot. What, what does he know? He knows nothing. <laughs> it's like, this, this isn't like stick to making cars, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it's you, funny though, because we like oh, tons of people love the original trilogy, mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings trilogy, like the movies. But Christopher Tolkien, uh, uh, Tolkien's son, yeah. hates them. He thought it was making light of it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so, it's just, it's funny when people are like, Tolkien's rolling over in his grave because. Yeah. The same movies that they loved, apparently his son thought he was really in over well, and, uh, those. So, um, someone I saw responded, they're like, they're like, Tolkien would hate this. It's like, Tolkien literally hated engines. He hated like the industrial <laughs> revolution and the way things are going, which is a lot of what like Isengard represents is like how industrialization is dis- uh, destroying things because he really uh, associated himself as like a hobbit. Yeah. Who just wants the simple life of gardening and whatever else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's funny to be like, Tolkien would hate this, blah, blah, blah. But um, but another, like, big backlash. And this seems to just be the thing. If, so, like, everything that comes out, people are like, it's woke. It's yeah. pandering. It's got an agenda. And it, for a lot of stuff, like, I mean, we've talked about it. For Sometimes we agree. And we're like, yeah, that's clearly just pandering. And like they sacrifice story for the the sake of trying to like convey a message. Um, but what well, I, I mean, I'll let you share. But I think that's dumb in this regard. I think that's completely yes, <laughs> unfounded. I agree. Well, it's funny because when the first images came out of the show, mm-hmm. people saw, um, got their first look at some characters, some cool shots. And, like, I'll be honest, too, I was very wary of it because Amazon doesn't typically do, like, great on shows, to yeah. be honest. Like, there's something cheap about them usually, and I don't know mm-hmm. what it is. Um, check out Wheel of Time if you want to know what I'm talking about. But um, but then what really set people off was there is an elf in this, uh, in this show, and he's black. Yeah. Oh, no. And, uh, and people are like, woke they're trying to be woke because amazon is woke which a lot of times they are but just because of this picture and i get it elves are supposed to be like fair-skinned and Mm. like all that kind of stuff i totally get it but um when you watch again we're only two episodes into this so people saying it's bad it's like it's the first two episodes most tv shows are bad in the first two episodes um but like when this character shows up, he's awesome. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like if someone actually watched it, I, I can't think they would walk away being like, that was such woke crap <laughs> like, yeah. because he doesn't, there's nothing related to like his race or anything like that. Well, cause he's, cause he's not like in the world. Yeah. His, the color of your skin isn't what's significant. Cause you literally have different races. Like, you know how you talk about like, Oh, there's one race, the human race. And apparently that's like, a white supremacist thing to say now. Yeah. I, don't, I don't understand, but, the, but, but so like he's irony. literally an elf. Like exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. And the irony of the whole thing to me is that um, oftentimes when it comes to like the woke conversation, mm-hmm. people are like, well, you should hire based on skill and talent, not based on gender or race. And it's like, 
maybe that's what they did this time. Yeah. Maybe the guy's just a really good actor for the role well, and they hired him. And you mentioned the elf, but I've seen, cause so basically we've talked before about like our Twitter feeds and how yeah. you've kind of unchristianed your Twitter feed by unfollowing most of the controversial Christians. And, and I'm getting there, but I also, now my Twitter feed is all Lord of the Rings and Rings of Power stuff. I've become like a Rings of Power apologist almost. So that's like my whole feed. But a lot of stuff I've seen is about the, the Harfoots, which is like the Hobbit's yeah. characters, which are potentially invented. Like it's going off of like two lions that someone mentioned once. They've mm -hmm. created this whole species from. But people were like, oh, why are the, the Harfoots like people of color? Some of them have darker skin. And it's funny because I didn't even like think anything of it. No. It just seemed to make sense that they did. And they I were. saw someone say they didn't sound Scottish at all. And I was like, what? That is so strange. Because they're all like, that's, it's just a strange argument to make. And it's, it feels like you're trying to get something. Because like, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. But they're like all the, I, I started looking up the actor, actors and actresses. Because I was like, I wonder where they're even from. It'd be funny if they're from Scotland. They're English, I think. All okay. of them. But like, I would think they would almost know better than us. Mm -hmm. What sounds Scottish anyways. But it's weird. It's weird stuff that people are throwing out there. Um, the other one was like that I saw was from a pastor, um, and he was like, uh, ripping on the fact that Galadriel took down an oh. ice troll by herself, but these five other men couldn't, that was with her. Well, it, <laughs> I was like, that is so stretch. That is stretching so much to like, try to make your point that it's being low. When there's one guy I saw tweeted some, some like, yeah, I think he would retweeted that and he was like, you know, someone's stretching or whatever. I was like, well, what about when Legolas dropped literally an entire like Oliphant or Mumakil or whatever they call it? Yeah. With like covered with people. He drops that alone and they're like, oh, no, that's fine because he's a he's, less pretty elf. And he's a man. Well, so he can do that kind I of mean, thing. I mean, he's an elf. They're all kind of feminine. <laughs> but uh, but is this ridiculous? Well, I thought it was super cool and I didn't add any point feel like the the implication was like men suck not like other shows yeah. that we've talked about it is just she's just a cool character and yeah i think it's just touching on people's insecurities that they're so offended by like a strong female character well in that in people were like oh she's so different because in lord of the rings she's so like quiet and reserved mm -hmm. and mature and and graceful or whatever but also this is literally seven thousand years before that so maybe there's something called like, character when you were one eighth of your age, yeah. you, you were a lot different than you <laughs> are now, right? Like, yeah, you would act by, by like elf standards. She's probably a lot less mature. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Thanks for coming to our rant, everyone, because, you know, we got to rip on people. We got to rip on people when they're woke and when people are saying something's woke yeah. and it's not. Like, you know? and you can't say like, that we're one way or the other because like we just want good movies and we want people to be honest about good when movies and shows are good but uh yeah there's one uh, christian blogger and um i don't know he's kind of like an instagram guy but i think he does other things but i only really know him from instagram oh, okay. uh, his page is called uh christ is the cure but i think his real name is jack and he wrote this blog today and uh, I commented and I told him he's wrong and he responded very nicely. <laughs> um, but uh, he wrote this blog today and he was talking about how he thinks the main difference between 
the Rings of Power and the Lord of the Rings original trilogy is that the the Lord of the Rings was really about you know good people doing good things for good sake. You know, Sam came along just because it was the right thing to do. They're all doing the good thing because it's the right thing to do. And how he f- thinks in um, Rings of Power that it's a lot more gray, that nobody's really good, that everyone's uh, like even Galadriel's motivation he thinks is kind of selfish because it's revenge, which I'll, I'll just okay. say like when you read the Silmarillion, like her motivation was that she wanted to establish her own kingdom. So it's like, I think people, well, and this was my response is I think it's a, it's a matter of people like, it's almost the opposite of recency bias. It's like back in my day, everything was better and everything new is bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think you're viewing the past with rose colored glasses. If you think this. Yeah. And he, uh, he brings up this, uh, idea of like, there's a difference between virtue and values. Mm-hmm. And what he was basically saying in the article is that, um, virtues are things that are kind of like transcendent yep. and things that are like ultimately true, like doing good for good's sake or like there is an actual good that you can do that is objectively good. Mm-hmm. And then values are like based on your beliefs about something. Um, which I think is actually a really good point that he makes is yeah. that w- as a culture now, we're very focused on like our own values. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of shows and movies and, and stuff like that, um, books, it's about like this person believes this is right. Therefore they're, they're doing that. And that's a good character because they're sticking to their values or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and he's saying, I, I guess he was like, it was really weird because he, I don't agree with his like qualms with the show, but like um, he was kind of saying that this TV show is about values more than virtues, yeah. which again, it's two episodes. So I don't know how he's saying yeah. that. And I didn't see that at all either, but you know, well, it, it is interesting because yeah, I also disagree. I don't think that's fair of this show. And I think part of it too, like I was telling you beforehand, um, one thing with uh, Lord of the Rings with the original books is that they're actually written by characters in it. Like The Hobbit's written by Bilbo and The Lord of the yeah. Rings, I believe, is written by Frodo. I might be slightly mistaken, but but it's from the perspective of The Hobbit. So that's why they view elves as these like perfect holy beings. But if you read anything else from other perspectives, they're just as messed up as anyone else. And that's like a big part of the, the story, too, is like how power corrupts. These rings of power corrupt and whoever has the one ring, it ultimately like Smeagol started out as basically like a hobbit type thing and turned into this like monster because mm-hmm. of how this this powerful ring corrupted him. Like that's sort of been a, a key point or theme of Lord of the Rings stuff from the beginning. Um, I don't think, I'll, yeah, I don't think it's valid. I do think that it's a valid analysis of kind of like movies and, and shows in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's true that we sort of don't have like the same sense of this is good and this is the right thing to do. Like we, yeah. we've, we've emphasized individualism so much and then we want characters who are exploring their individualism. And then I think that's kind of, well, in a way, that's the like why Superman is boring argument and why the new Superman movies have gone like so edgy and why they have him like actually kill people now and stuff. Personally, I think Superman's boring because he's invincible, so there's no real threat to him at any point. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's a valid just criticism 
there's a lot more gray characters, like the idea of good versus evil, or even that's something, again, I mentioned Game of Thrones, and I think I've already confessed before that I've watched it, yes. but I also don't recommend it at all. Um, but one thing that I really hated about it is that good loses. That's like a, an ongoing theme. It's like the point, the uh, whatever his name is, Martin's point was to destroy your hope. Mm-hmm. He's like, yes, every person who seems kind of good is actually bad. And if someone's legitimately good, they die horribly in a really like glorifying suffering way that's disgusting and makes you want to go take a shower. Like it's just yeah, like, like that's the thing we've lost sight of like actual objective good and actual objective evil. Yes. And, uh, and being virtuous today is basically going along with what our culture gen. generally accepts Mm -hmm. so what our cultural culture generally accepts um so different views that you may hold actually maybe you know we believe in god as transcendent and what what he says is true and right yeah and so we believe that's what what true virtue is is when you're aligning yourself with him Mm -hmm. and um but with our culture the way it is today and because of sin and the fall um there's a lot of things that we would say are not virtuous and are not good mm-hmm. that the culture says are. So when we actually go against those things, the culture says we're not being good. We're not being virtuous, virtuous yeah. because we've started graying certain areas of what could be good and bad, but we know there's like a transcendent good and a transcendent evil and God sets the standards for those. So um, I think he does have someone a point in the article with saying, I don't think it applies to this show, but I think he is right in saying that, like, we like being in that morally gray area because then, you know, uh, it's all about making we like the Joker is a good example. Mm-hmm. The Joker movie, the new the newest one that came out. One of the interesting things about that is it's very disturbing in my mind. I, yeah. I was just disturbed watching the movie. Um, but one of the things it does is it actually because he has this kind of uh, his laugh is actually something that he can't control. Mm hmm. Um, and it often ends up getting him in trouble because he's laughing at things and he doesn't mean to laugh at them. And so then what the director and writers are doing is they're making you start to feel sorry for the Joker. Yeah. And then at the end, he goes full Joker on people. I won't, you know, mess, spoil anything, but he goes full Joker on some people. And it's almost like this thing of like, you know what he did is bad, but also, like, you're like, but I understand him, yeah. so I can't really knock him for getting to that point. And it kind of, it just grays the line between good and good and bad. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be what we want to do is, like, you can make up what is good for you, and, and you should live by that. Well, and that's, yeah, a lot of what's considered a good villain today is one that you can relate with and understand why they'd want to do those evil things. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, like, a sense of, of our, uh, like almost numbing our own conscience that we don't want to feel bad for the things we do. Um, but yeah, Lord of the Rings is like a standout one. It's similar with, with star Wars though. I don't know, maybe in newer star Wars has tried to deal more with the gray, but star Wars is a really defined good and bad, right? There's literally the light side and the dark side. And in Lord of the Rings, the, the bad guy, Sauron, what's his goal? 
literally just enslave all the free people and bring darkness across the planet like his, his like the original bad guy literally part of his goal was to destroy any source of light so that the entire world would be dark yeah like you can't can't get more black and white than that it's pretty straightforward and i think that's something that i mean it's hard to know from two episodes but i think that's something that they have to stick with because sauron is the enemy and his motivation is still to just enslave everyone and cover the world in darkness but yeah but i do think that's that it's a valid criticism of like hollywood and film culture and it's something to be aware of and and yeah i'd challenge like our listeners would think about when uh like yeah when you're watching shows like what is what is the show saying is good like like come back to those worldview questions what is this show saying is good what is this show saying is the problem and what is it saying is the solution and if the it's not aligning with the christian worldview that doesn't mean you can't watch the show but be just be aware of what you're being taught yeah by the content that you're consuming mm-hmm. all right well it's time time to talk about marriage oh, i forgot i was gonna change i wanted to change the i don't know or i don't understand theology or whatever it is i wanted to change it to the marriage brings us together <laughs> today <laughs> but i totally forgot dang anyways imagine that it's funny movie clips princess all, bride watch it all of my sound pads are movie or tv references um, but yeah, today we're talking about marriage and we're going to be, like I said in the intro, we're going to be focusing on basically the theology of marriage. What is it? Why did God ordain it? What does it accomplish? And not so much, how do you do it? How do you s- succeed in it? Like we're not... Five tips for a healthy marriage. Yeah, that's, that's not what we're about. We want to get to the theology of marriage. And if you're like, that sounds boring and irrelevant, I think it's really good to have is a foundation before we get into sort of like the topics of the day. Yeah. Like a lot of when churches are talking about like, are we going to be affirming or not? And, and these sorts of questions, I think you have to start with, well, what is marriage and why does it exist before you can even get to the, like everyone wants to jump to these working out of what it looks like, but, but we need to, to understand what it is, why it was ordained. What's the, the point of it? And we are going to start with the 1689 Confession because we've been working through it. That's why we're talking about marriage because that was the next chapter. But uh, personally, I thought it was really reductionistic. Like it was very simple. Mm-hmm. And I think probably the reason why is because it was meant to be kind of like widely acceptable. It was meant to be like a statement of faith that many people could hold to. Yeah. Um, but a lot of differences in like, I guess you could say your theology on marriage just comes down to like, what you how you think someone should act in a marriage so it's more practical questions anyways yeah so having it more general like this when it comes to like what is marriage theologically um it's not that it's not too big of a deal i guess yeah i just feel like they missed out on some stuff so we're gonna also look at ephesians 5 which i think gets Mm -hmm. to some some meaty theology but yeah do you want to read a paragraph sure um this is Chapter 25, if you're tracking along with us, um, you can click the link in the description of this video and you will be able to find that. Uh, Or you can go to the1689confession.com and read it for yourself. But uh, chapter 25, paragraph one, marriage is to be between one man and one woman. Neither is it lawful for any man to have more than one wife 
nor for any woman to have more than one husband at the same time. Yeah. I, I think, uh, we don't need to like get, spend too much time on that one. Why did David have more than one wife then? Okay. Oh, that's actually, okay. In the Old Testament, actually, there's plenty of godly people. So this was a question I had in Bible college. So I did a decent amount of research on it. And um, one, so one concept that might make some people a little bit upset for me to say it, but, but one concept that we see in scripture is that God tolerates a lot of our sin. Mm-hmm. And often he'll like tolerate some sins uh, more than others. Like it's almost like he... he um, he meets us on our level and he's it, like, he just puts up with a lot. God is patient. Yeah. And one thing that we see is that he never says, he never encourages anyone to take more than one wife. Uh, he never says it's okay. Everyone just keeps doing it. Yeah. And the only time we, we finally have like any statement from him, like really, I mean, actually in the beginning, he talks about like, you know, man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to a wife and they mm-hmm. become one flesh. So you think that'd be pretty straightforward that two people were becoming one flesh, but he reiterates it in the new Testament. However, every time someone has more than one wife, it goes poorly for them. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think there's anyone in scripture who had multiple wives and it didn't somehow bite them in the butt. Yeah. I think that's fair. It always works out poorly. So there's, yeah, I think you just look at practically, look, what does God actually say? What are the consequences and the understanding? I mean, a lot of judges, the point of judges is people are doing absolutely horrible, awful things. And it's not that God's condoning those things. The point of judges is to show how people were mm-hmm. without a king in the land. Just, and that's what the Bible is doing. Like, especially when we're reading those historical um portions of the Bible, the historical genre, what the Bible is doing is it's uh, giving us a picture of these people and it's not holding anything back either. Mm-hmm. Like there's tons of stuff, like the Bible describes people doing sinful things and it doesn't condone it ever, but it still says they did it. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think, always important to keep in mind is just to realize that like, just because David is a character in the Bible who is a man after God's own heart, doesn't mean that he never sinned very clear with Bathsheba, Mm -hmm. but also like he had multiple wives as well. Yeah. And the Bible never condones it and never says it's right, but it's giving you the fact of like David took multiple wives. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think people are like, well, the Bible says that you can only have one wife, one husband, but this guy in the Bible had more than one. So that's a contradiction and it's just not. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of the only people in scripture i mean maybe there's some people who they doesn't give us the dirty details that i'm not thinking of but generally the only person in scripture that doesn't sin is jesus Mm -hmm. so like just because someone's doing something doesn't mean that it's it's good and it's okay yeah and yeah i think there's a lot of uh like when i was in the more kind of progressive christianity circles there are a lot of arguments that came down to what about this person doing this thing like look at this it's like that's not okay just because the person's doing it mm-hmm. and it's recorded doesn't mean it's okay but but yeah two people become one flesh is the point that's the first kind of basis uh going into the rest of this chapter on marriage he'll read the next paragraph it says 
Marriage was ordained for the mutual help of husband and wife for the increase of mankind with a legitimate issue and the preventing of uncleanness. So, um, and this is, so this is what it has to say about the purpose of marriage. And I think it's good. I don't disagree, but this is where I think we can get, there's more to said. Mm -hmm. It says marriage is ordained for mutual help. Um, it's good. I mean, you can speak to yeah. it more than I can, but it's, it, it gives um, it gives you someone to to do your life with, and that's um, that's not to say I don't know. We will, probably won't get into it much of this because it's just that's a totally different topic. But again, with like when it comes to marriage and stuff, it is a good thing, and there is this um, there is this theology of like God created marriage so that man and woman would have a mutual help and they would become one and they would like companionship for mm -hmm. life and all this other stuff. Um, and that doesn't mean that your life is any less if you're not married or, or you never get married. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but they, it's just a reality of, of what marriage is. God has mm -hmm. given marriage as a gift um, where you're there to, um, sp you know, you can use language like spur one another on, encourage one another, help yeah. one another, um, protect one another as well. Mm -hmm. well not, yeah, I think even especially being like a, an undisputed adult now who's single, I see it a lot with moving and with making big decisions where it's like, man, it sure would be nice to have one person who I know is on my team. Mm -hmm. One person who I know signed a contract yeah. and is stuck with me. And yeah. Is, you, you get to, you, you go home at the end of the day and you have someone you can talk to about frustrations and everything yeah. like that. Um, uh, again, I said we weren't going to get into this, but an aside to that is that's where the church really needs to step up for, single people. Oh yeah. It's just, you know, uh, as a married person, you can, I can go home after a frustrating day of work and tell my wife that this person was stupid. This person was dumb, all this stuff. Um, and there's someone there to like help you with that and like encourage you when you're down. Mm -hmm. Um, but single people often don't have that. Um, sometimes a roommate or stuff like that, but mm -hmm. A lot of it gets more internalized. When I think, again, here, I'll say one thing and then we'll move on. But I think when you think of if you've ever been to a camp or if you've worked at a camp, especially like a Christian camp, or if you lived on dorms in Bible college, there's this kind of like, like a, it's a high moment in your life. There's something good about it. Like even if it, like if there's bad things about it, but the, just being in community, that's often the closest we get to an actual community mm -hmm. to doing life with a bunch of people and seeing people every day and being is like so closely uh like involved in each other's lives that you can't hold each other accountable and you get that from marriage but for people like me who aren't married like i need that from somewhere i need it from the church hopefully but for the most part the only place where i've experienced that is at like camp yeah. and you know, Bible college and stuff like that. Those, those weird kind of fringy places. Yeah. And it would be nice to see the church become that because I don't think that is unreasonable. Yeah. I, I'd like, I mean, yes, everyone's working more and more and we just have busier lives, but um, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that we should be more involved in each other's lives. But anyways, next point that the paragraph makes is, is point of marriage is to multiply. That is be fruitful and multiply. It's a command that is part of you know early covenant with mankind is to to, to multiply. And, uh, I mean, I, I think this is where you're getting at with it being kind of there's a, a sense in which it is a little reductionistic, and I think a lot of people actually 
bring up this point in a very reductionistic way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because they say, purpose of marriage, be fruitful and multiply. That was the command in the garden. That's what mm-hmm. they're commanded to do. Therefore, that is our job as Christians, human beings, yeah. is to do that. That's the sole purpose of marriage. It, yeah, and it's it's just, we'll get into the the deeper purpose of it. And it's uh, it's something that we are supposed to do. It is mm-hmm. a command, be fruitful and multiply, and it's uh, honoring to God in that way. Um, the caveat to this is there's a lot of people who can't mm-hmm. have children. Um, and the church does a really bad job sometimes like dealing with that. Yeah. And especially in the, in a culture of like two people get married and they're, they're two young people married happily in love. And they're like, so when are the kids coming? And it's like, it's just, that's, that's a part of church culture for some reason. And it potentially stems from this, I, Mm -hmm. this thought that it's like, well, that's, that's kind of the, that's the purpose and goal of marriage. Um, but it is something that we are to do Mm. because God commands it at the same time. Um, it's, you know, same thing with being, with being single in a sense where it's like, if you can't have children, your life, it's not like you're less honored, you're being less honored to God. Yeah. Um, that's just something that. And and I'll, I'll say the reason why I think it's reductionistic. And I, I will say even that I think viewing this as the purpose of marriage uh, promotes weak theology is when you get to, so why is there no marriage in heaven? Mm-hmm. And the, the like traditional answer from this would be like, oh, because you don't need to multiply anymore. You're done. You're in heaven. There's no need to multiply. So that's why there's no marriage. But I think that's completely missing the point uh, that Paul makes in Ephesians 5, which we'll get to really quickly. The, the last final point of this paragraph is that uh, it prevents uncleanliness, mm-hmm. by which it's referring to, and they actually footnote it, so I'm not making this conclusion myself it's referring to like um first corinthians but because of the temptation to sexual immorality each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband like it's saying we're created sexual beings and we have that desire having that desire is in itself sinful so he's created a a a relationship and a covenant for you to be able to carry out that desire in a way that is not sinful so therefore this is why marriage is a good thing. Pursue yeah. it to, to avoid I, putting yourself in that situation. Yeah. And I think he says later in that as well, like, um, if you basically, if you burn with passion for one another, get married. Yeah. And but, he's saying like, don't fall into sexual immorality. Like when well, that's the same time that he's saying it's good to be single too. So it's like, yeah, it's yeah. all about kind of knowing yourself and your situation. But yeah, I don't know many situations where this has come up, but, um, but there are people out there who like, that's their only thought is like, you know, I don't want to fall into sexual immorality. I'm going to get married. Mm -hmm. And like, (laughs) if that's your sole purpose for getting married, that's not going to solve your issue. Yeah. Like if, if a guy is struggling with porn or something and he thinks, well, I just need to release this sexual tension. Mm -hmm. Um, and he thinks the solution to that is just get married. Like, you got it all wrong. Yeah. And, and so that's, again, like there's so much to each of these points where it's like preventing uncleanness is definitely one thing that yeah. it does. Um, but it's not as simple as like you're struggling with sexual immorality, get married. And yeah. you're good. When as a pastor, I've, I've met with so many men that yeah, thought marriage was going to fix it. And then it almost like 
aggravates it. Like that's when they realize that they have a deeper problem is when they get married and it doesn't fix it. Yeah. And then it becomes more of a significant issue too, because then there's someone else involved that they're hurting. But, uh, but yeah, um, paragraph three, don't be unequally yoked. That's uh, it's scripture tells us marry another Christian. Mm -hmm. It's, is that the only way you can be unequally yoked? What are you getting? <laughs> I'm, I'm not just sure. asking the I'm question. Not sure. uh, I I personally, and like one issue that I've had with like my dating life and dating as a pastor because I'm not I'm not like a like sworn to celibacy like I do not have that gift I do desire marriage, um, is dating someone who's at a totally different place in their faith mm-hmm. or who has like. Like if you're a conservative Christian, you're dating a progressive Christian, like it's basically unequally yoked. Um, yeah. So I think there is, there's some measure of like similar levels of maturity, but then at the same time, um, we see examples. I mean, scripture encourages men to, to minister to their wives, but we also see examples of women ministering to their husbands in Acts. So it's not to say that I don't think that's necessarily like a deal breaker, like biblically, like it's wrong for you, for a mature Christian to marry an immature Christian, mm-hmm. but. Yep. I, um. I, sorry. <laughs> I think the, the definitely the main uh, purpose of that passage and, and interpretation of it is unbeliever and believer. Mm-hmm. I think that's very clear. And I think um, we can use this term unequally yoked in many different ways to justify like getting out of a relationship when you're just, you're just not into it anymore. Yeah. And it's an excuse. Um, but there, yeah. Which, there, which Paul said, Paul, Peter, Peter says not to do it. Right. He says, if you're like in a marriage and you become saved, like yeah. don't leave your, your spouse. Yeah. To live, um, to live in a way in which you would see your husband or wife come to know Christ mm-hmm. through, through your witness and that. Um, and yeah, that's, I think it's mainly talking about about that. I think there's a... Uh, I've just heard the phrase in a lot of weird ways. And I just felt like it would be kind of a fun yeah. thing to throw at you no. off the top of it. But I, I've just... You know, you hear over time, like, people being like, oh, we're being unequally yoked because I like baseball and she hates it. It's oh, like, nice. yeah, it's like stupid. <laughs> well, but, I, it's, but it's a way to justify, like, I just feel like she's not as mature as me. Therefore, I, I don't think this relationship will work out. It's like you can literally just say you're too immature for me. Yeah. Like when that like and that's the nice thing where like well and I'd even encourage like knowing someone in a non-romantic fashion before you start dating them as it gives you an opportunity to make those realizations before you've signed a covenant. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, like I even where I was saying it's been like a weird spot for me dating as a pastor, dating people who are like Christians in name alone. Like, I wouldn't even say that's necessarily, like, if I ended up married to that person, I wouldn't, wouldn't consider that being unequally yoked. But Yeah, maybe in a minor term, you could say that. Mm-hmm. But that's more just, like, your life goals aren't work, yeah. working well, out Yeah, well, and together. I think that's a big part of being unequally yoked, is you're, you're going to be pushing and pulling on each other and your values. Yeah. And when I've tried explaining this to someone, I had a very forward woman approach me one time and ask me out. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't date people who are, who don't have the same faith as me. And she's like, why? And she was like really offended. 
And I was like, the thing is, like, it's literally every aspect of my life is influenced by this. Though, like, the, the, from the way that I spend time in the morning and evening to like where my money goes and the things that I prioritize are all influenced by this. And it's going to be a massive point of conflict in our relationship if yeah. we're not on the same page. But yeah, and that's that's where it's like that's unequally yoked because it's just something like. And uh, scripture says, like, light can't have anything to do with darkness. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, and there's things that are, there's things that are preferences, but this is getting more at, like, your faith is, like, who you are. That's who you are because you are in Christ. You're a new creature. Yeah. That's very different than someone who is not in Christ. It's way more serious than, like, Brittany and I both knew that whoever we married had to like hockey. Because that was just something yeah. that we we love, but that's not unequally yoked. If <laughs> we ended up not, thankfully though, the Lord brought us together, and we both like hockey. Nice, worked out. They have the gift of yeah. hockey. We can scream at the TV together. Um, okay, so Ephesians five, because mm-hmm. this is I'm excited about this because I think this is stuff people haven't heard as much, and I think this is where we get to like meaty theology. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll read it. Um, I'm so bad at reading out loud, so that's why I always want to pass it Just stop it when you <laughs> start struggling. Just be like, uh, actually, that's as far as I want Okay, Ephesians 5, I'm going to start at 22. And as a random side note, verse 21 and 22 are the same sentence. Does that mean anything? Probably not. Um, hmm. Starting verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church, so sorry, he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." Oh, that was long. I feel like I skipped a line by accident. I don't think so. Okay. If it didn't make sense, just go read Ephesians 5, 20 to 23. There's lots lots in here. We're not going to be able to talk about all of it. But uh, So is this saying that marriage is symbolic then? Well, the last thing he says is this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And that's the thing that I think a lot of old school conservative Christian preachers and stuff miss when they talk about the purpose of marriage being reproduction is that Paul is saying here, um, it's this concept that we've, we've talked about before in other episodes of, of a type of something mm-hmm. like you have the anointed one, which means Messiah, who was one of the fir- well, the first anointed one would have been Saul and then David, the, the anointed one, but they're not the anointed one. They're not Jesus. They're just a type that's pointing to what is yet to come. And that's what Paul's getting at here is he's like, this marriage is important. It's sacred. It operates in this way because it is pointing to this union that is to come, this union between, uh, you know, us and Christ, Christ and and the church. Uh, And I think this has a lot of implications for the way that we think about marriage, Mm -hmm. but also the problem that I brought up where I said, 
why is there no marriage in heaven? Oh, it's because you don't need to reproduce. Well, with types, which you know because you understand this complicated theology, when the anti-type comes, so when the fulfilling of the foreshadowing comes, the type is done away with. So there are no more kings of Israel. There's no more the anointed one because Jesus has has come. He is the king of Israel. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's no more prophets because the prophet has come, because he is the anti-type, the type is done away with. So when we have that perfect union with Christ, the type, this this lesser union that's pointing to it, is done away with because it's served its purpose. It's no longer needed. Yes, and um, with that too, we have even imagery. Now I have to brush up on my end times timelines and everything like that, but... Um, there's some, there's a event in revelation where it's called the marriage supper of the lamb Mm. and it's the church in Christ having this like feast, whether that's fully literal or not. And we will be having bread and chicken and stuff. I don't know. Um, but we see like the image continued in that where it's like the marriage supper of the lamb, like Mm -hmm. Christ and his church, his bride, um, are coming together, we're having that celebration of marriage. Yeah. Um, and we understand this today. You, you know, you have a ceremony, then you have a reception where you have a meal with everyone, you celebrate the, the marriage. And, um, and that's where it's like being a, a type continued. And you see it all throughout the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it's even the, you know, we're the bride of Christ. There's some marriage typography and imagery for you there as well. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's this thing that is so profound in it. Does he say it's profound? I think he does. Yeah, the mystery is profound. He literally says it. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much going into it. Like, even the line, um, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Yeah. Like, that is the call to husbands to be like, I'm supposed to love my wife in such a way that I'm willing to, like, sacrifice everything, give my give my life for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Christ was even a model in that way when he died on the cross for us, like say, this is how much love I want you to have for your wife Mm -hmm. is to, to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Um, that's why it's so profound because you start thinking on levels of like, that's an immense type of love that is like so hard to actually accomplish, Mm -hmm. but that's like, that's the goal. And that's the picture he's given you. That's how much Christ loves you, his bride. Now apply that to your earthly relationship with your with mm-hmm. your wife. And actually here, one disclaimer. When I say there is no longer a king of Israel, I'm not making any statements about the current nation state of Israel. Oh. <laughs> That's I'm not saying anything about that. I'm just saying there's not the anointed one. That role of the anointed king is not a role in the current nation state of Israel. So I'm not making a statement. Anyway, and Christ is the king who forever reigns on yeah. the, the throne of David. Christ is the, is the true the king of Israel. That's why they said it. They even wrote it ironically on a sign and put it above his head while they killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all this, uh, uh, more meaningfully, this is why marriage is sacred, and this is why Christians get fiery about it. And this is why those of you who are married, it's easy for me to say, uh, need to be guarding it mm-hmm. and keeping it, it holy and keeping it protected. And that's why people like me who aren't married shouldn't be having sex. Mm-hmm. Because that is that is a part of it, and that's disgracing this full picture by not having that that union and that covenant, but having part of that part of that fleshly union, 
it's an incomplete picture. It's uh, like distorting and dirtying the type. And that's why these things matter so much. And if we have this theology, this understanding, I think it's uh, it get, brings a lot more weight to these discussions like, you know, sex before marriage and wh- who can actually be married, what constitutes a legitimate marriage in the eyes of God and, and mm-hmm. like, you know, polyamory and, and garbage like that. Yeah. Like, it's important because of the, what God ordained it to be as an image. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I can say this too without getting, I think it's true, but marriage is most honoring to God when it is reflecting Christ's love for his church. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, yeah, you I mean, you said it with things like sex outside of marriage and, and like who gets married as well. Um, things like divorce as well. I know div- like, the church's stance on divorce has hurt a lot of people. And, um, but the reason, one of the reasons is because of it, of its marriage's picture of Christ in the church. Like we have this confidence and this assurance and hope that he will not divorce us mm-hmm. and that, you know, we have this, we're in this covenant relationship with him. And, um, and so that's, that even goes into that conversation there as well. Unfortunately in a fallen sinful world, things happen and um, it's not part of God's will and there's grace and and hope even in situations like that. Um, But that's, it goes into all, that's why it's profound, right? It's going into all these different conversations of like, why can't I have sex outside of marriage? Why can't I marry more than one person? Why, you Mm -hmm. know, all these different things. Um, We're the single bride of Christ. The church is his only bride. Um, So it goes into all these different types of things and that's, kind of the meaning and the purpose behind marriage. Um, there's different like commands and, and, um, things with the, in which God says, this is how you can honor me in your marriage, like mm-hmm. be fruitful, multiply all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's also this deeper meaning behind it of what yeah. it's actually supposed to be and reflecting that to the world as well. So here's something that I don't know, uh, where you stand on it, but, uh, I've heard this idea before that Christians in community better fulfill our purposes being the Imago Dei, the image of God, because God is a trinity. He is himself community. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you heard that before? Yes. Okay. Now, um, there's another passage as well. I think Proverbs talks about like a cord of three strands, but, mm-hmm. but Malachi, when he talks about... Uh, Marriage, which is another like produce offspring passage for those people. But he says, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God, uh, what was the one God seeking godly offspring? So guard yourselves in your spirit. So, uh, yeah, sorry. And, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. But in there, he's talking about how it's two people and the spirit of God. So it's really three. It's that cord of three strands. So what do you think of as marriage being a type for Christ in the church, but also being uh, its itself in that union, part of the image of God and reflecting him? It's an interesting point that I've never really considered before. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff when it comes to the image of God that, um, that we can bring up that's like wrong and we're just trying to find a reason for it. Mm-hmm. And then there's stuff like this. I think, um, I'd have to think about it more, but I think there is something to that for sure. I mean, because they, there's the, 
um, reflecting uh, who God is mm-hmm. is part of being like the Imago Day, and so um, reflecting Christ's love and His relationship to the church, you could probably make a connection there. Mm-hmm. Um, I w- I wish I had a more profound answer for you, but and that's probably I I'd have to think about it more. And the two distinct and different people becoming one flesh is common biblical language. Yeah. Kind of like how you have three persons who are one God. Oh no. The implication, okay. if people are like, where are you going with this? The implication yeah. is again, just that marriage is holy yeah. and that it needs to be kept uh, sacred. So it's not like there's no weird heresy that could come out of it if I'm totally off base, but mm-hmm. I have heard, because I've heard of community being a, pr- a better image, a better reflection because people yeah. together are a reflection of God being together. But I just, when I read that Malachi passage, I thought of that with, like, is is marriage like a like a faint glimpse of the Trinity, of the three persons becoming one and unified in that way? Potentially. Potentially. If you think I'm a heretic, be sure to uh, tweet about it and cancel us because any press is good press. <laughs> but, Controversy brings the most viewers, usually. Yeah, it's true, but... Oh, wow. We finished exactly an hour. Quick, hit the outro. No, no, it's too quick. But uh, yeah, let us know your thoughts. If you're married and have sage advice, feel free to drop that in the comments for people who are looking for sage. Yeah, we stayed away from the practical stuff. Like, I can give you that if you want. Um, <laughs> I've, I don't know. I've been married for six years. There's yeah. people way more qualified. But uh, there's there's anyone can talk about the theology of it and behind and everything. I remember mm-hmm. when I was um, leading a youth group, they're always like, um, like we want to talk about dating. It was a youth group at camp. I was leading the camp youth group. I was like, we want to talk about dating. I was like, I haven't dated anyone. I don't have any yeah. experience. It's like, so here's the theology I have on dating for you. Um, so anyone can have that theology. Um, I know a lot of people want to go into the more practical stuff, but um, mm. we think this is the side of it that doesn't get talked about a lot with marriage. Marriage books as well. It's like, it's very practical. Yeah. I read a good one in our marriage counseling like our premarital counseling um, that talked about this kind of stuff as well. But mm. it's usually like, what do you do with both of your bank accounts and all of your money? Yeah. <laughs> what do you do when your wife yells at you? Stuff well, like that. I think the irony too of like, you're talking about camp and people, uh, people being like, talk about dating. You're like, I'm not dating. Uh, even times as a youth leader, when I have been in a relationship and I've only ever been in one like decently long relationship, um, you kind of get in this position. I feel like especially you see there's where you're like, oh, let me tell you about all the ways that I honor God in my relationship and we're holy and so on and so forth. Yeah. But then that relationship ends and looking back, I'm like, oh man, that was bad. Like yeah. that was yeah. not good. That was not a good example at all. But yeah. always everyone is, is like, I am in the position to sh- tell you how to do this relationship well. And it's like, are you really? Or yeah. Are you just telling yourself that to try and be turn a blind eye to your issues but yeah i can tell you about experiences and stuff i've learned or whatever but i will not guarantee that my advice will work for everyone but yeah let us know what you think about marriage comments comments questions snide remarks go watch rings of power if you haven't um yeah go ahead uh let us know what you think unless you're you think it's woke because that's just dumb like if you if you dislike it for <laughs> you're a real dumb, but tell us <laughs> if you dislike it for a real reason let us know if you're like i wish the story did this or something about film criticism we want to hear that have let's have some real discussion i love debating when it's reasonable um yeah if there's any 
like unrelated questions or topics you'd like us to talk about um yeah send us a message on instagram at sinner sufferers leave a comment on youtube um send us an email hello at sinners and suffers.com <laughs> we got lots we have facebook too but there's like yeah. three people that interact with it um it's just not our audience typically, yeah i guess we we do well on, on instagram we even have tiktok as well go like our tiktoks so you get more exposure yeah. and more atheists can comment how dumb we are it's my favorite those are my favorite comments. we actually got I, i've started to see listeners and christians respond to the atheists in the comments and i'm so excited i love seeing that because part of me i just don't have the time to responding to every comment but also i it's kind of like a teacher where like you want your students to answer the questions like yeah what, like i don't want to have to answer every question i want to see other believers engage into these things like yeah. we're not debate experts or anything but all that to say <laughs> we want to hear from you we appreciate you join the discord that's the other option join discord we had some conversations in there just recently yeah. um it's been good stuff and we were talking about musicals still so i can greatest showman is amazing okay i agree it was a good one yeah <laughs> have right. a good week bye